Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com, and we are still looking at John Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man. Closing out the week with me today, I have Jonathan and Chris from the Minute Impossible podcast. Thanks for coming back one last time this week, guys. No problem, Andy. Gladly. Definitely. And uh, I just want to promote one of our newest things. We now are part of the uh, um, Terrence Appreciation Group. Uh, it's all Terrence's, <laughs> both Terrence, the Terrence's of Stamp and the Terrence's of Howard. We're, we're big fans How of both Terrence of Man Oh, Terrence Critters. Man. And Any Terrence? Terrence Man from Critters. Yes. Uh, what else? Who else we got? I'm sure there are other Terrences out there. Uh, only famous Terrences, though, in the Terrence Appreciation Group. But uh, Terrence Malick. What about Terrence Malick? Yes, Terrence Malick. Terrence yes. Malick. Yep. Okay. So just so you yeah, know, okay. that's our new that's our new thing we've started. There's only uh, two of us, Chris and I, and Andy says he won't join. So that's where we are. Uh, <laughs> I'm protesting oh well. apparently. Oh, oh, Terrence Young. That's the other one. Director of of the three first three Bond films. He directed Doctor No. Thunderball and from Russia with love, Terrence. Yeah, okay. Back on the th- those Terrence. That's that's <laughs> worth appreciating. There's a Terrence worth <laughs> mm-hmm. appreciating. Well, we are looking at minute fifty five, which does have one of our Terrences that we're appreciating. Yay, uh, yes, Terrence Howard. Oh. Minute fifty five. Uh, sorry, the minute starts with Rhodey telling Tony he needs to get his mind right, and it ends with some mysterious figures shoveling sand in the wind. Seems like a difficult task there at the end of this minute yeah it's like a like a one of those euphemisms like it's like trying to dig in a sandstorm it's what they're doing i think we need to start that get more people saying that it's like trying to dig up a robot in the sandstorm <laughs> we are looking at Ter- terrence howard here as roadie this is this interesting end to this scene you got to get your mind right you know this whole thing with this military versus uh, Tony's new stance on on not designing weapons and and Rhodey clearly has uh, taken it quite personally. I would think Rhodey, if he was his friend, would be more on board with his friend's PTSD, which he is obviously suffering from and showing yeah. major symptoms say. of. I don't want to make I don't want to make weapons, Rhodey. Uh, no, you need to get your head right. Well, no, jerk. I am getting my head right. I, I know it affects you and your bottom line and your job, but I have, I mean, look at my hair. It's terrible. <laughs> it's not even, I don't even have product in it. Well, this scene is clearly designed to kind of re-emphasize the tension. I mean, we never got a reaction, an interaction between Tony and Rhodey after the end of the press conference where Tony kind of announces all this stuff. Mm-hmm. We see him react mostly with uh, Obadiah. But it seemed like they, they, again, felt like they needed to find a way to, you know, get this in here and show this, this sense of this, uh, this tension that has now created between Tony and Rhodey. And, uh, you know, it just, again, it goes to the, this, this sense of this scene just feeling a little meaningless. And it's, it's this, you know, I mean, Tony came to try to get Rhodey on board with this thing and Rhodey's just like, you got to get your mind right. And that's kind of, that's it. That's the end of the scene. It's it's a strange one. Yeah, it ends very abruptly. It's very strange. Almost like they just kind of threw this in at the last minute, guys. Yeah. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah it's frustrating. I, I guess that's pretty much the end of the scene. I don't know if I really have anything else with this one. I do not. It's just a frustrating scene. It's just me yelling at him. We go from this to that little nod that Terrence gives as he leaves, and then we cut back to the Stark estate. And again, it's all round. Where is that bank of straight windows that's down in the workshop? I don't know. But anyway, we go from that, and then we get this really fantastic next moment where 
it's like magic that's going on here. We have Tony swiping his hand over a piece of glass in the shape of a keyboard, and lo and behold, a magic digital keyboard kind of pops up on the screen, and he starts tapping away on it. All right, let's talk about this keyboard. What the hell, guys? This is what this is a hell? crazy, <laughs> crazy keyboard. It is a crazy keyboard. Ryan Minerding, who is the illustrator, he designed a lot of the ideas, kind of these sorts of things. By the way, those guys are the unsung heroes. Oh, in these projects, absolutely, they really are. I'm a UI designer. I I design user interfaces, and the guys who illustrate these interfaces for all these movies, I I could watch those effects reels all day long, and this movie. This minute alone blows everything away that we have seen so far. Even the Matrix, <laughs> even these other things with all these different UIs, it's insane. We're seeing these elements that Tony's designed all kind of tied into Jarvis, really, mm-hmm. because it's all part of his estate. We see it on the windows in his bedroom and in the living room. We see it in a few minutes ago. Uh, Pepper was watching uh, Mad Money mm-hmm. with Jim Cramer. And that was uh, projected on a window, but also on like a little Jarvis uh, keypad interface on the table in front of her. And now we get this, this crazy keyboard. Um, Ryan Minerding, he was trying to design this with exotic symbols and undefined characters. He adapted keyboard characters from sources as diverse as Mayan mythology and electrical engineering figures and also made some up out of whole cloth. Um, So it's, and I think when you look at it, you can kind of get a sense of that a lot of it just looks completely made up like tony's just created his own special languages that that he uses okay. here on his keyboard i have something that i came up with in the green room beforehand and he knows about it i think this is our first <laughs> clue that he is a scroll and we're going to find that out in the uh one of the avengers movies later because captain marvel is going to bring a, a whole thing about scrolls being part of our society i th- think that is scroll language. Ah, I'd be surprised. It's a really wacky one for sure. It's so odd. I mean, I, I can tell like one of them's headphones. One of them is is a, like an arrow. One looks like a battery, you know, the battery charger. Or, yeah. And he pushes the little battery button. When RDJ is obviously doing this, it, there's nothing there. Sure. He's just tapping on the glass and then they have to kind of integrate in afterward to make sure that when he's pushing things that it's actually getting pushed on the But he didn't know it was going to be this weird setup. I wouldn't think right? so. I mean, no, I, I would think that he probably saw the uh, conceptual drawings that Minor Ding had done. Okay. But and and you know they said okay hold this hand this way and hold this hand this way and then type some things. Because if you look there is on that glass sheet there is a metal bar for his right hand which is configured more like a normal keyboard yeah but the left one is configured in a round circular pattern where he puts his hand yeah the the left one is weird which is interesting because some of the other ones like well like the one that pepper was using up in the living room it actually had a wheel uh it was the opposite corner but in that place that in this it looks like it could fit a wheel it actually had a wheel Hmm. and there's no mouse there's no mouse. He's just tapping these random buttons. The first one, I can't figure out what he pushes, but then he hits save, and then he hits new, and then he hits, uh, I don't know, some funky Greek key, and then his right hand starts tapping away on all these things. and Which is weird, because he's talking to Jarvis while he's doing this, so he doesn't need to do this. Jarvis can take care of all this. I think it's just to get us ready for what's about to come. We've seen everything you've seen, you've been talking about before in the movie. We've seen everything on glass, like some sort of glass projection. Yeah. Which has been very cool, but we're about to go into insanely cool and for the rest of these movies, 
the the tech that that the the designers create. And this was this was this illustrator you're speaking of. What's his name again? Uh, Minerding is Ryan Minerding, and he did all of this. He did all these visualizations. Correct. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah a lot of uh, a lot of work on this film. He did. Yeah, this is this is this interesting moment where we have Tony who knows he created a potentially uh, powerful tool with the suit, the Mark I suit that he created in the cave. And now we see on the screen, he's obviously been thinking about it. And actually in the script, we have actually had scenes where he had been working on it with Jarvis already. But this is really the first time we get to see it where he's actually now actually has the schematics for the Mark I all in the computer. How far did he get? How far did he get with Jarvis in the script? You said he was working on a boot? Just to about the point where I was uh, talking about a few minutes ago, where he he had he had started doing some of the the designs and stuff, trying to figure stuff out, and then he went to see Rhodey because in the script it made it sound like he needed to get something from Rhodey through the military or something. Because he's building this from memory, right? Yeah, he doesn't have anything. Because obviously, at the end of the minute, we'll talk about it. But that that suit that suit is in the uh, desert. Correct. That's awesome. Yep. And that goes to, uh, you know, a conversation I had very early when we were looking at him as he was working on his car. He had an exploded view of the car on the screen, but he also had a ton of other information. And it just makes it feel like this is a guy who clearly has uh, photographic memory because Mm -hmm. he is pulling so much information from the screen and just all these things that are in his head to make these things that he's visualizing in front of him. And I think he creates a suit like what he did in the cave and all of it's in his head. And he just basically has to spit it back out and put it into the system now. Okay. And also he may be one of those people. I, I talked about this actually, uh, in a, one of the listeners groups that I need more input, more input when I edit, for instance, when I'm editing podcasts, when I'm, if I have on, on a screen on the other side, I put Twitch TV on and I actually put on gameplay of video games on the right side while I'm editing and I turn down off the sound, but I watch as I'm editing, Hmm. I'm actually quicker at editing when I am also doing something else. And I'm wondering if he also has that. Right. I mean, obviously he's a genius. I'm not saying I'm a Tony Stark genius. I'm just saying he seems to need multiple inputs at the same time and it makes him more efficient. I have recently noticed I am better when I have multiple inputs. Some people don't. Some people need to focus on that thing. But I got a little ADHD that likes to move my brain around when I'm trying to pay attention to something. So, or ADD, not ADHD, uh, ADD. Uh, when I don't want to diagnose myself with the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, en- enough where, you know, <laughs> doing a project can get boring and tedious. Yeah. Right. But if I have three projects going yeah. on at once, they actually, instead of making them worse, it makes them better and they actually go faster. And my, like my creative mojo is going. I don't know if that works for you. Yeah, I do that with editing too. When I do editing on film, I have a movie going usually at the same time because it usually keeps me, keeps me focused and it helps to, to, to get my edits done right the way I like them. Well, I, I think that would make sense also why Tony is, uh, keeps Jarvis going and why he's talking to Jarvis because it probably is the same thing where, in addition to all the stuff going on his screen, he also is able to kind of continue that conversation in whatever direction it takes because it just is another thing that's helping him kind of focus and get the stuff done. And you notice Jarvis, there's a couple things for later for the Avengers movie. One up in the right-hand corner at second 21, we see Jarvis is like, um, I'm not going to say her name because she's in my house. She's a little box that 
if you say her name, she talks to oh, you. Oh, yeah, one of those. She, uh, if you look up in the right corner, it's actually typing out what he's saying. I'd like to open a new. He's he's saying he wants to open a new file. Yeah, right. Which is great. But if you look down to the left of that, you can actually see. Actually, I'm sorry, that's second twenty five. If you look down a little bit, you can see Jarvis's brain that we later on get to see in Age of Ultron. Yeah, it's a rudimentary kind of his brain and voice kind of thing. Him thinking, I love it. It's really interesting, and actually, we have seen kind of that transcribing already. When Tony's on the line with Pepper, mm-hmm. he calls her to ask her about her hands and what size her hands are. We have the exact same thing where their conversation is being transcribed on screen. It's an interesting element that uh, that Jarvis does, and I, I, but I love the fact that you pointed out that little sphere that's on the screen that's kind of interacting with his voice it almost is actually acting like a weird vu meter mm-hmm. as tony talks yeah i think it's an interesting element that is going to be kind of used later it's pretty cool because later on the wind jarvis talks his his brain kind of undulates it does that same thing right yeah i mean obviously they're not it's just a round thing on this on this it may be yeah. a stylized vu meter but i like that there's interaction happening I, I totally do. And I, I think it's a great it's it's the sort of thing that you like to think that triggers somebody's mind when they're looking at the film like Joss Whedon when he's making those films and like and pulls that and goes, you know, look at that. Let's use that as kind of this tool for Jarvis. It seems like a pretty interesting uh, thing for them to latch on to. Right. Because how else would you because you're like, OK, I want to show him in three dimensional space. Yeah. What do we do? Because it's dumb to like have him be a person. I I am so glad in these movies they never visualized him visual vision. They never visualized him as Paul Bentley. Bentley, yeah. At no point does a CG Paul Bentley show up. Bentley. What am I saying? Bentley. Right. He he's yeah. Paul Bentley. He's related to Terrence Stamp. We all know who he is. (laughs) Wasn't that Mr. Bentley was was the Jefferson's neighbor? Not not Paul Bentley. Okay, not Bentley. Bentney, right? Bentney. Bentney. Paul Bentney. Bentney. <laughs> the vision, Jarvis, is never realized in a physical manner, which they could have easily done, like as a hologram. It, which is true, especially because Jarvis was a an actual butler in the uh, in the comics. So it, yeah, in the comics, he was a butler. Yeah, right. So I'm glad that they uh, completely kept him off screen. And it's funny hearing. Paul Bettany talk about it because he's just like I didn't even know what the film it's pronounced Bentley. <laughs> That's how he likes it. He's like I didn't even know what the film was. They just had me come in and read these lines, pay me a ton of money, and I went and took a vacation with my wife. And it's so it's funny that he, without realizing it, signed on to be a character in a film years later where he actually got to uh, do a bunch of stuff on screen. It just works. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, where we do get that uh, fantastic visualization, though. We get Tony dragging the diagram of the Mark One using a little from pen screen. Yeah, using a pointer, really, that he drags over to a light table. He kind of drops it on the light table and then he taps his, uh, his little pointer. And lo and behold, we get a. 3D oh, visual so view. Awesome. And initially it's kind of an exploded view and then the whole thing kind of comes together as he starts studying it and trying to figure out what to keep and what to trash. This is the one of the most important visualizations I think. They upped the minority report. 
yeah. with this. The the flinging of, of information in Minority Report, when uh, Tom Cruise would do it, he would fling. I don't didn't mean to bring up a Tom Cruise movie. That is happy accident. <laughs> but he when he's flinging information left and right and able to turn it with his hand, and he's going backwards and forwards and looking at it fast forwarding. Yeah, right. That kind of visual, visualization at that time, we were like, oh, my God. This is insane. I, this gets no better than this. This tops it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's amazing. And let, I mean, later on, God, the second movie alone, the amount of visualization they do is crazy. Oh, yeah. It's like crazy as it gets going, you know. Even in, in Avengers, he does the same thing, you know. Because he saw, and it loses the stylus. There's not even any screens. It's just him grabbing stuff and flinging it places. So cool. It's it's great. And obviously we had seen stuff like this before. I mean, even going back all the way to to Star Wars mm-hmm. when we get like the, you know, the little projection of the Death Star. But nowhere have we, uh, you know, to my recollection, have we seen somebody interacting with it in a way that he's doing here. And it's it's done so so smoothly. And, and Robert Downey Jr. does it so nicely, the way he kind of opens the helmet. Yeah. And then he starts grabbing, Pieces. like, I don't know what he's grabbing, but he pulls a whole chunk out of the chest and trashes it. Like a little trash icon pops up. He spins it around and pulls some stuff off the back and gives it that little spin. It works so nicely. And he's doing such a good job of interacting with nothing, obviously, when he's acting the scene out. It just, it plays, it plays really well. Yep. And for the next three movies, we'll get to see this level of acting in a room of nothing. Yeah, right. I, I mean, and, and we talked about before, they could have easily have not built this, a lot of this set or had it closer because it's so far away. We know he's in a physical room. So it actually gives weight to this ridiculously cool thing he's doing that no one can do. Right. That this is not a technology anyone any of us can do yet. You cannot physically manifest and grab like where is this even being projected from? From the from the table? Yeah, right. Like it's just, it's just like where is where are these holograms coming from? I love like in Star Wars it's always their model was make sure the light is always pushing the hologram out. So you see where it's coming from, like a projection. Here, it's just magically there. Yeah, obviously, like the like sc- VR, the 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 light table underneath kind of flashes, like it's going to start doing something. But but then there's nothing. You're right. There's no light source, and so it's interesting the way that it plays that way. You don't really get a sense of it. I love it. Other than the fact that it works nicely. What's interesting is Marvel must have a hand person that really like teaches these actors how to do these hand movements because not just with this, but like you've got, you know, the Scarlet Witch when she comes around, she's doing these things with her hands. Doctor Strange is all about his hands. I mean, it's really Spider-Man. impressive how many Spider-Man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's amazing how, how, how much hand acting the actors in the MCU have to do, you know? Later on, I mean, he definitely puts his own spin on it, which is ironic because oh, he yeah. spins it. But like, he <laughs> has an attitude that is like, yeah, that's how you would. I wonder how they visualized it with him here and in the second one, especially because that's when he interacts with the most things. When he's like taking things and making them small and then making them big and he like claps and makes fun, you know, like little things as he's doing it. I, I think yeah. you bring up a good point. It'll be interesting to see as these movies go on and he can figure out who taught him this. Is it pantomime? Is it a mime? Is it a, some sort of body actor that's like, okay, let's pretend. Because obviously he had to have some sort of coach probably. It's probably not John Favreau. You know what I mean? It's someone explaining yeah. like, oh, they're like, okay, over here on the left is going to be a trash can. 
and to your left is a trash can, but you're going to do these three things because this is kind of where we are with our pre-vis visualization of the uh, graphics. You're going to flip up the head. You're going to remove something from the front, turn it, remove something from the back, and then throw the whole thing away. Well, and you bring up the previs. That's obviously uh, a tool that the, I, I haven't seen any previs um, clips or anything, but it could be something that they actually had put together. And so it could have been something that they were able to show him and saying, look, this yeah. is what's, how it's going to mm-hmm. play out, which I think for an actor obviously kind of helps where you can kind of visualize it better. But still, it's. I still think that when you're actually in the moment and you have to go, okay, there's this hologram in front of me. I now have to flip the, th- do this, and then I have to grab these and push them down. I can only imagine how, how weird it must feel to kind of act that stuff out and assume that it's going to work out. Especially at this point in a movie that is not a blockbuster yet. That is not yeah. anything. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, you'd be like, all right, you're Tony Stark, and you're going to uh, grab this and fling it over here, and it's going to light up and become this 3D. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now you're like, all right, that's fine. Whatever. We know. Yeah. But then but then it was it was new territory we were we were getting into. New acting. Oh, yeah, definitely. We do get at the right at the end of that moment, Tony gives it that spin, and then he's just got this stance as he's just staring at it, which just, it, it feels like it's one of those moments that, you know, just stand there and look at it. It's, I can do better. I can do better. It, it actually ends up working really nicely to transition us to, to the next scene. Yeah, I was going to say, we had a Star Wars wipe. It's a strange yep. tool to all of a sudden throw into the film. And I, I couldn't figure out why Favreau decided to use it all of a sudden, but we get a wipe. Probably because he was going, he was going to the yeah. to the desert, and he was his Star Wars homage. Because you know, and, and I know that that Kevin Feige is also a very big Star Wars nut as well. Uh, so it might have been one of those things that also it's spinning at the same rate that it wipes. Uh, the the suit yep, is exactly. spinning with the wipe. So as the and that final spin that it gives when he's in the stance, it's like slowing down and as it's slowing down it goes right through the wipe so it's one turn is the entire wipe that's funny which is nice yep it does it hits quite nicely but it, but it does feel like that, that like the wipe to the to the stormtroopers finding the 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 pod on tatooine in the first mm-hmm. hours look so I, that's what you expect we don't get the rest of this scene look, sir, droids, but yeah. I, I want one i want a no. terrorist to stand up with, with a round thing in his hand and be like look sir droids <laughs> And they do, they do kind of have that moment. I mean, we're not in that minute, but they do have that moment where they're like, you know, they find it and it's a big yeah, deal, right. you know. So it does remind me of that scene, even though that's your, your next week. You know, just talking about it now. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. It, it, well, especially because we also see, like, I mean, clearly he's about to find something if he'd only look, because just next to where he's digging, there is a big, uh, like a ring or some thing protruding out of the sand that he's just you know he's digging like five feet away from it he's just missing it i'm not quite sure if he if he doesn't see the giant <laughs> thing next to him or if he's trying to find something else like maybe he already dug or that if up. they're like look we know where the giant thing is it's not gonna all be together <laughs> <laughs> they're looking for the mask in particular yeah I mean, obviously they're looking for it well i if they're trying to find all the parts though right well we don't really know at they this look point. like ray before ray we saw ray <laughs> when she's scavenging exactly. Oh, look at that. Yeah. But that couldn't influence it because that didn't happen yet. The reason that they dress these guys like this is because this is what all the crew was wearing when they were filming because the sand was blowing so much. And they uh, and initially Favreau was like, well, we, we're just going to have to wait until the sand stops blowing. And then he was looking at everybody. He's like, you know, it's actually going to look really cool 
if we just have everybody dress like this. Where do they shoot these uh, scenes? The Olaja Dunes, which is near Lone Pine, California, where they filmed all of the stuff for Afghanistan. Oh, so they got to do it in California. I didn't know that. I thought they went somewhere like Tanzania or something. Yeah, no, there wasn't. There were only yeah. a few scenes in the sand, and there is a nice uh, dune area right there near Lone Pine. And oh. so they were able to kind of get it all done in one fell swoop. That's easy. Economical. Yeah, it's it's a very popular filming corner of California. A lot of stuff's been done there. But it, it does definitely feel like a Raiders of the Lost Ark Star Wars moment, though, uh, when they do the white pan and uh, and you see these guys out in the desert digging. Well, after that last scene, that's not a bad thing to feel because I am in it. This movie, I was sold on this movie early, but I mean, now I'm like, oh, he's about to go into montage mode where he's going to start building a suit. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. you know, like just as a, a comic book nerd, you're like, I just want him to build the next, the Mark II, the Mark II. Oh. You, you know, it's coming, and especially after that last, uh, that little hologram bit that we get, you know, it's coming. And so it's very exciting because. Very uh, exciting. Yeah. But we just have to hold on. We just got to get through the sand. We're just going to get that sand. So much sand. So much sand. Gets everywhere. Look, sir. Droids. <laughs> With all the Marvel movies that have uh, come out, I, I hesitate asking people to rank them all because there are so many of them now. But what would you guys say is your favorite uh, or favorite couple Marvel movies? Are you able to pinpoint it or is it kind of fluctuating all the time? Thor Ragnarok. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I'm big on Thor, but this one is probably my favorite. This one and the Avengers are my two favorite uh, movies that I watch over and over again out of all of them. And then the Avengers one, I would is say, so good. Uh, it's hard. I mean, Avengers one. I is think so Thor Ragnarok good. is my favorite now because it is a realization of a ten year process, and they're like, we're just gonna make a funny one, and they just do, and it works. I it wouldn't have worked if that was the first one. No, no, it would have been tough place to start. It only works in the context of it. It is balanced on the weight of Avengers yeah. and oh, uh, Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy is above that, and then Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so hard because Guardians of the Galaxy is so good, and we watched Guardians of the Galaxy two on Sunday night, and also super stunning, super good. <sighs> it's easier just to ask me which one I hate. <laughs> Thor one. Thor one. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. I understand it was, I'm so happy it was successful. And it also, not only did this movie create the Marvel Universe, Thor did. If Thor hadn't done well, we would have been dead in the water after two movies. Well, you really needed that first group to all survive and uh, as as franchise options in order to really hit the avengers and make it work so it's it's good that iron man captain america and thor all ended up working Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah definitely and and they really you know and and even something like doctor strange i was watching that the other night and i can watch that movie you know pretty easily as well i mean there's so many of their films that i can just have on even if i'm not watching them if i'm editing or i'm cooking or cleaning house i'll just have them on but like Avengers and and this one in particular, if they're on, I will stop what I'm doing. I'll start watching. Yeah. But like Guardians of the Galaxy is good. I haven't watched this one in its entirety in probably six to eight months, which is a long time for me. Long time. Which is a long time for me not yeah. to watch uh, a movie. But the other, there's just so many. I love, I mean, this one was the OG. It's awesome. Yeah. The one I think I watched the least is probably Hulk. Yep. <laughs> 
The Incredible Hulk. That's probably the one I watch the least. And Age of Ultron. And, and then and then probably Dark World. I watch, I watched Age of Ultron a couple of months ago when I got the the 4K, but I, it's not one I put on automatically. I watch like the last half hour probably. Yeah, problematic. Yeah. That's I think something that I I think says a lot about what they've done with the MCU is I mean there are good things about all of them. I think you know I really yeah. I, I don't get bored watching any of them. I think they're all really exciting films no, to watch they're all very good yeah yeah there, there's no cars 2 uh in, in this universe <laughs> although iron man 2 tried it tried really hard to screw up the whole thing there's still some great stuff in that though i mean there really is sam rockwell steals that movie the suitcase the suitcase armor the, so yeah that monaco monaco char- car chase or scene with iron man in the suitcase that's really good. It's it's a lot better than I gave it credit for initially. When I rewatched it, I yeah. was like, you know, it actually there's there's some fun stuff here. And there's the, the the Black Widow's in that, and she's she really steals that movie as well. I think that one they were trying to find that funny tone. They were trying to find that because they'd done the serious Tony Stark, not serious, but he was like flip. But they needed like another, yeah, like more goofiness. And I well, they just they doubled down with Sam Rockwell. I love Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I do too. And I think they were trying to figure out how to balance having having more good guys and more bad guys. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. uh, they'd obviously yeah. tried that with some of the Spider-Man films to not so great effect in Spider-Man 3. And I think that it's just always a struggle. And so in Iron Man 2, I think that they, they struggled with that, but they were working on it. And I, I feel like when they finally got around to the Avengers, they really figured out how to do that. And do it really well. A testament to how good yeah. they are at making these movies. Uh, Kevin Feige, when he t- they talk to him, and it's it's a joke answer, but I think it's his real answer. When they say, if you could go back and change anything about any of these movies, and this was like recently, he goes, I am really sorry that we bleached Chris Hemsworth's eyebrows in Thor. <laughs> <laughs> that is his biggest thing he wishes he could go he goes it is so awkward he goes the man is handsome and we made him so ugly by putting him in a terrible blonde wig we go he's blonde right he's just dark blonde they're like i don't know what we were thinking because meredith my wife watched it recently thor she had never seen thor she was like oh god what happened to his eyebrows i go you know what that's actually one of their biggest regrets that's so they could go back they would digitally change that. I go, of all the things in movies, I mean, when you think about Star Wars and the the trilogy and the the prequels, if you could go back and change one thing and the one thing you think is just, oh, just his eyebrows. Right. Kind of, we kind of yeah. screwed the guy over. We're sorry. I, I love that answer. Yeah. Because it's true. They've made no yeah. missteps. They've, it's yeah. really been a solid, and you're, and you get the fun of going through every one of them. Yep. 20 years in so far. That's how, that's how long we're uh, looking at doing this thing. If they, they're going to keep cranking these things out, I'm like, oh, this is going to take me into my retirement. And there'll be another 20 years going, too. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of these. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, guys, it's been great having you on the show this week. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having You're us. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for only having me watch Terrence Howard twice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to remind everybody uh, where people can find you one last time? We're at MinuteImpossible.com. We do a podcast called Minute Impossible where we break down the Mission Impossible franchise one minute at a time. Kind of like these guys, we also have a never-ending list. They actually have more movies, but uh, we have a ever-growing list of uh, Mission Impossible movies that just get better with age. Yeah, they do. And get better with sequels. So, Absolutely. Well, except for the second one, which uh, Chris and yeah. I will argue 
argue about it. If you want to hear us argue about yes. Mission Impossible 2, and if you love Mission Impossible 2, you should come listen. Yeah, you should. <laughs> and if you hate it, you, you should, should come, come listen. listen. <laughs> uh, at this point, it won't be out. Uh, but when you are listening, go to our uh, podcast feed and you'll see our new episodes on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and all the podcasters. And we are on Facebook at The Impossible Minute Force. Come find us. Awesome, guys. Well, that is it for today's show, everybody. Uh, that's it for the week. Closing it up. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. True believers.